Well, good morning, church family. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. You know, it's becoming uh, a sort of a Christmas tradition among our generation in our culture. It's the cheesy, romantic Christmas comedy movie. There's literally dozens of these that are uh, released every year, and we're inundated with these stories of uh, a successful businesswoman who's pretty much married to her job and doesn't have time to date, and she ends up leaving the big city and ending up in a small town, and then she bumps into some other guy, and one of them's on their cell phone, and she spills coffee. It always happens in a bakery or a coffee shop. And it's that boy meets girl kind of moment. And then 90 minutes later, they're engaged. And it's so predictable and it's so uh, familiar. And that boy meets girl moment. Well, today in Ruth chapter 2, we're encountering one of those boy meets girl moments. But the story of Ruth is more than a story of romance. It's a story of redemption. The title for our series is Story of Redemption. And we're going to be introduced this morning to the Redeemer, the hero of the story. But behind the hero, there is a, another hero because there is a greater redemption than the redemption that Ruth and Naomi Need. We're introduced to him in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth and Naomi had returned from the land of, of uh, Moab, and they had uh, come back to uh, Bethlehem, the place where Naomi belonged all along, and she's returning to her roots and hopefully returning to the Lord as well. We're introduced to this character, Boaz. We're told that he is a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. We're also told that he is a worthy man. We have a Boaz uh, in our family. Here's a, a little picture of our a Boaz. And when we named Boaz, we named him after the hero of this story. And Boaz is referred to in chapter 2, verse 1, as being a worthy man. And when we pray for Boaz, we pray that he would live out that identity, that he would grow to be a worthy man. We're going to see how that, uh, what a worthy man looks like as we look at the character of Boaz in chapter 2. Now it says here that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech. Now that's an important detail, and the, the readers were given that information uh, right away, right off the top. But we need to remember that Ruth isn't aware of this. This is what, what we call, if you remember back to English class, I used to be an English teacher. This is called dramatic irony, where the audience knows something that the main characters don't know. And so the, the storyteller lets us know about Boaz, lets us know about his character, but also lets us know that he is a relative of Naomi. Now, chapter 2 unfolds in three locations, and so our outline for today is just going to follow those locations. The title for today's message is Under His Wings, and the, the first location that, that we see in this, in this passage is in the field. So we pick up the story in verse 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find 
find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So Ruth has this plan for how they're going to generate some, some revenue, how they're going to uh, feed themselves. It's this practice of gleaning. Now, notice in verse 2 that we're reminded that Ruth is a Moabite. I mean, that's already been covered, hasn't it? I mean, that's where Naomi and Ruth came to be part of the same family, in Moab. And Ruth was a Moabite, but the narrator keeps coming back, keeps labeling her as Ruth the Moabite. That's very, very important. And Ruth decides that she wants to go out and glean. Now, this is the key word, just like chapter 1. The key word was return, which appeared 12 times in chapter 1. The key word uh, in this chapter is the word glean. It also appears 12 different times, and it's barley harvest time. So just I just got to warn you. Barley contains gluten, so there's high gluten in this, uh, in this passage. So just be forewarned uh, for those who have uh, intolerance. Uh, in that way, there's a lot of gluten coming, uh, coming your way because there's a lot of gleaning of a lot of barley. So she went, and she, she went to go, in verse 3, to glean after the reapers. Now, this is an example of the heart of of God. We see in God's law, sometimes when we read books like Exodus or Leviticus and we get into the fine points of the law of God, we wonder what is going on here. But listen, it's in the law of God where we see the heart of God. You see, this practice of gleaning is actually codified in the Old Testament law, and it reveals God's heart for the poor and the less fortunate. Let me show you a couple of examples. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, and it's quoted also almost word for word in chapter 23, verse 22. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Similarly, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, Ruth and Naomi both fall under that category of widow. And, and so they would have allowed, they, they would have been permitted to, under the law, to benefit from this provision. Notice how God has institutionalized a plan for alleviating poverty among his people. Not through a handout, but through the opportunity for hard work. You see, we were all created to work. And in God's good plan, again, he didn't plan for a handout. He planned for the dignity and privilege of allowing those who were less fortunate to work to earn a living, to provide for their family. The law of God reveals the heart of God. And then it says in the middle of verse 3 that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened. It's just a coincidence. The, the, the narrator is kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because the, the, the author here knows, as we know, that there are no coincidences. There's no accidents. I mean, Matthew 10 verse 29 talks about sparrows falling. Proverbs 16 verse 9 talks about dice rolling. God knows it all. 
And so it didn't just happen. God arranged that, that, that Ruth would end up in Boaz's field. And we're reminded again, again, Ruth doesn't know this, but the narrator does, and we do, that Boaz, at the end of verse 3, was of the clan of Elimelech, Ruth's deceased father-in-law. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So, just so happens that on the day that, that Ruth is in Boaz's field, it just so happens that Boaz comes to visit his workers on that day. And look what Boaz does in verse 4. It says, he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Here's one example of why Boaz is a worthy man. Look at how he treats his employees. These were common, everyday, manual laborers. And yet he tells them, the Lord be with you in what you're doing. You see, as I said earlier, we're all created to work. Work matters to God. How we work and what we do when we work matters to God. And God has promised to be present with us in our work and that those workers were not supposed to be working just for Boaz. They were supposed to work, be working as though God were their boss. And so we, we see that Boaz is a worthy man. Boaz, his, his religion wasn't just a one day a week thing or he didn't just do his morning devotions and then close his Bible and then just go and practice whatever the rest of the world was doing in terms of their business. No, everything is spiritual. Work is spiritual. People matter to God. And Boaz treated people with dignity and respect and he pointed them to the Lord. His workers responded back, the Lord bless you. You see, we are being told, and I was told this time and time again in university, and we're hearing this more and more as people who grew up in my generation and went to university and learned from those professors, we're being told time and time again that economic inequality equals oppression, that there is a direct line between those things. If you have economic inequality, then there must be, as a result, there must be oppression. That's not the case here with Boaz. That if we live as worthy men and women, whether we find ourselves having less or having more, there is no oppression in Boaz's field, even though Boaz is the owner of the land and these are his employees. He treats them with dignity and respect. We see them all working hard and Boaz encouraging them and them encouraging him. But then in verse 5, Boaz notices something. In fact, he notices someone. It says in verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman. There it is again. She's a Moabite. She's a Moabite. She's a Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. There it is again. She's a Moabite from Moab. Okay, we get it. We understand. She's the Moabite from Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So we see this incredible example of Ruth as being a hard worker. Also notice that... that the, the foreman, the man who was in charge of the workers, when he refers to Naomi, he doesn't call her Mara. No one called her Mara. She insisted, call me Mara. But he calls her uh, Naomi. 
And so Ruth is out there working hard. Boaz notices her. She's been there from early morning. She's only stopped once for a short rest. Then Boaz speaks to Ruth in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Okay, just stop right there for a minute. So we've just been told like eight times that she's a Moabite. She's from Moab. She doesn't belong. And how does, how does Boaz treat someone who feels like they don't belong? And everyone else around is talking about where she's from and how she's not one of us. Boaz stops, speaks to her, and calls her my daughter. He looks at someone who should be on the outside and welcomes her as family. Boaz is a worthy man. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now remember, these are the days of the judges. These are the days where people were doing what, whatever was right in their own eyes. And as we read the, the terrible things that were happening in the book of Judges, so often the, the victimization of women is right at the center of the story. And so Boaz, as, as Daniel Block points out, here we have a... a, a, a a workplace harassment policy that Boaz had already put in place. He had already told his workers, no, this is how we're going to treat women. This is the, the level of, we're not going to live like the rest of our culture. That won't be tolerated here. And Ruth would have been vulnerable in two ways. She was a woman in a field full of men, and she was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. But Boaz is a worthy man, a man concerned with the protection for the vulnerable, compassion for the poor, and inclusion of minorities. Then he goes on in verse 9, he, he says, or, uh, yeah, at, at the end of verse 9, he says, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Notice how, notice how specific Boaz is here. You see, Caring requires clarity. So he says, hey, this is the field. See this field? This is the field you can work in, Ruth. And by the way, don't worry about the men because uh, we've already dealt with that. And if you need something to drink, this is where you go to drink. Listen, Boaz could have said, hey, Ruth, really glad you're here. You know, if you need anything, just let me know. If you've ever been a foreigner or an outsider and you don't really know where things are or what's to be expected, having someone tell you, just let me know if you need anything, actually creates more anxiety than actually helping you. But Boaz, is, he cares, and so he's clear. He says, Ruth, th these are the boundaries. These are the expectations. This is what you can expect. And look how Ruth responds. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Look how overcome Ruth is by this simple act of kindness. For the first time, Ruth feels noticed. 
The Bethlehem women in chapter one didn't acknowledge that she was standing there beside Naomi. Naomi didn't bother to introduce her to her friends. No one seemed to notice Naomi. The, the foreman, the guy who was in charge of the workers, he knew all about, he knew all about Ruth, but he didn't, he didn't talk to her. Lots of people were talking about Ruth. No one talked to Ruth. But Boaz noticed Ruth and spoke to Ruth. Think about the difference you can make in someone's life today by simply noticing them. By simply looking them in the eye and saying, I, I know that you're there. I see you. I know that you're there. I recognize you. I want to stop in, in this moment and recognize who you are and what you are doing. Look how overcome Ruth is just by Boaz stopping to talk to her, telling her where she can get a drink of water, reassuring her that she won't be harassed in his field. Verse 11, in response to Ruth, it says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Again, lots of people are talking about Ruth. No one's talking to her. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and have come to a people that you did not know before. And Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. Boaz says, listen, I've, I see how hard you're working right now, and I've heard the story of what you've done for Naomi, and may God reward you. It's the amazing thing. If you sort of skip to the end, this is the hard part about preaching this book. I just would prefer to preach this book for like five hours straight, and then we just go through the whole book. But like, spoiler alert, Boaz prays here that God would reward Ruth somehow. Boaz is the reward. He is the answer to the very prayer that how many times do we pray the prayer to God and we're going on, God help this person, God intervene in this situation and God's just like tapping us on the shoulder and being like, it's you. You're the reward. You're the, Boaz, you're going to be the answer to her prayer. And then Boaz says, and verse 12, he, he said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. And then it says, The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz uses this beautiful metaphor, under God's wings. When we hear that phrase, under the shelter of God's wings, we don't think about the book of Ruth. What, what book do we think of? We think of the book of Psalms, right? Those beautiful Psalms of, of David, where David is talking about taking shelter under his wings. Well, where, where do you think David learned that phrase? Probably heard his dad say it, his dad, Jesse. Maybe he heard his grandfather say it, Obed. Where did Jesse and Obed hear it? They probably heard it from David's great-grandfather, Boaz, this, this idea of taking shelter under God's wings. Obviously, God doesn't have wings. They're being poetic when they're saying that, like, like baby birds in a storm taking shelter under their mother or father's wings. 
So we see at the table this radical kindness, this generosity, this stopping to notice people. We see that Boaz is a worthy man. Ruth says in verse 13, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So that's what happens in the field. Secondly, we come to the table. To the table. In verse 14, it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now again, Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She would have been expected. She probably already had sat down all alone, thinking that she wasn't going to be welcomed in or invited. None of the reapers invited her. None of the other women that were, were serving invited her to come along. But it's Boaz who says, come here. Again, notice how specific he's being. Come here. Eat some of this bread. It's okay if you want to dip your morsel into the wine. He's being specific. She's a foreign. She doesn't understand. She doesn't know what's, what's polite, what's impolite. And she is being told lovingly, carefully, specifically by Boaz. So she sat beside the reapers, and then don't miss this, it says, and he passed to her roasted grain. He passed, Boaz passed it. The only other term that phrase is being used is when a servant is like, you know, sort of Downton Abbey, you know, the servant passing it to the, to the, the, the people. The, and it's, it's Boaz that's doing the serving. He's, he's the one who is serving Ruth in this moment. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. So she's sort of like, ah, can I get like a Tupperware container or something? You know, can I? Because is there a way that I, I normally don't get to have a lunch like, like this? Can I bring some of this home for my mother-in-law? So she did take some that was left over. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, so she goes back out there after their mealtime, Boaz instructed his young men. Here's more examples of why Boaz is a worthy man, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. So even among the stuff that you've harvested. The, the whole thing with gleaning was that if you accidentally left some of the, some of the crop on the ground, just leave it. And let them pick it themselves. But now Boaz is saying, no, even, let her even pick stuff out of the piles that you've, already, that you've already harvested. Verse 16, and also put out some from, from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Boaz says, hey, you know what? Quality control. I know we normally make a big deal about that. Uh, but today, since Ruth is here, just whatever, okay? Just start chucking stuff, all, just wherever that she can uh, pick it up. And as a result, verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. She started early in the morning. She gleaned all the way until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. You see, when you harvest uh, barley, it looks something like, uh, like this. You've got the stalks of barley. So this all would need to be cut or pulled out of the ground. And then all of those, those little kernels on the end of the barley stalk, those had to be beaten or threshed to, to become those little kernels. And so she would, Ruth would have been gathering up all of, those, all of those stalks of barley. And then 
That was only half the job. Then she had to remove all of those little, all of those little kernels. And as we look at verse 17, she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. An F of barley. Now, measurements in the Old Testament and converting them to uh, the New Testament is, uh, is kind of is tricky. Uh, but an F is about 22 to 24 liters. And uh, that, that would have been about, weighed wait, about 30 or 50 pounds. And so picture, you know, like bottom shelf at the grocery store. You know, when you, like normal people buy flour off the middle shelf or the top shelf, like a 10 kilogram a bag. But we're talking like the 25 kilo bag. We're talking about the like bottom part of your grocery cart, you know, over the shoulder. This is what, this is what Ruth, of, of the little kernels, that's, that's how much he was able to gather in a day. Now, this, this would have lasted Ruth and Naomi for weeks and weeks. Like, Ruth would have went out thinking, if I could just get enough for us for, like, today and tomorrow, that, that would have been the expectation. And now they are set for several weeks. Verse 18, Ruth's amazing. And she took it up and went into the city. She carried that massive bag into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She brought out the little doggy bag as well. So she's like, oh, here, boom, here's this massive bag. And then here's like the takeout container of what Boaz gave me at lunch. So we move from the field to the table. And then lastly, back at home, back at home. Naomi is utterly astonished at what she sees. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? She keeps asking, where did you glean? Where did you work? Where, where, where? How did you get so much grain? She's absolutely astonished. Remember what Naomi said in chapter 1, verse 21, when she said, call me Mara, call me bitter. She said, I went away full, chapter 1, verse 22. And the Lord brought me back empty. And that morning, Ruth went out empty. And she came back full. We see the, the, the kindness of God, the favor of God, the generosity of God being expressed through Boaz. She says, blessed be the man, verse 19, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, now, remember, we've got to understand, dramatic irony, okay? So, Naomi doesn't yet know that it's Boaz. And as soon as she knows that it's Boaz, everything's going to change. And Ruth knows it's Boaz, but doesn't know the significance of the fact that it is Boaz, that he's actually a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. And notice how the author strings it along. It's, 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 it's in the Hebrew as well. Notice what the very last word in the sentence is. The very last word is the name. So the, the tension is rising. The music is starting to swell to a crescendo. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And then 
Naomi erupts in praise. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. So Naomi wishes a blessing on Boaz for the kindness that he has shown. But then she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She looks right through Boaz's kindness and sees behind Boaz, not just the kindness of Boaz, she sees behind that the kindness of the Lord and how the Lord has not forsaken the living or the dead. She sees this kindness. Now, this word kindness is an important word in the book of Ruth. It's an important word in really the whole Old Testament. The Hebrew word is chesed. And it's normally translated in the ESV, steadfast love, or in the, in the King James, loving kindness. And there's a reason why one short word in Hebrew is often translated in English with like hyphenated words, like loving kindness or steadfast love. Uh, Daniel Block makes this uh, really uh, clear in talking about the word hesed. He says, hesed is one of those Hebrew words whose meaning cannot be captured in one English word. This is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. All the positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant, faithfulness, in short, that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. It's God's unconditional favor and grace, his covenant faithfulness. Sally Lloyd-Jones, who's written a, a number of beautifully written children's uh, Bibles or, or, or Bible stories, she describes Hesed in this way. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The Naomi who said that she, has, that she was empty. The Naomi who said, no, call me bitter because God's hand has gone out against me. Now she sees God's hand showering her with his kindness. But she says kindness to the living and the dead. I mean, it's quite clear how God is being kind to the living. That's Naomi and Ruth, so that they can continue to live, so that they, they can have something to eat. But what does she mean by also being kind to the dead? Well, it's revealed in what she says next. She said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. Now, I don't know if this would have made any sense to Ruth because she was a Moabite. I'm not sure if she was familiar with the intricacies of the Hebrew Old Testament. It may not be clear to you what, what she's saying when she says he's one of our redeemers. Well, the Hebrew word is goel. And this redeemer had different social responsibilities in, in, uh, in, in the everyday cultural life. This redeemer was a close relative and they had a number of different responsibilities. For, for one, they, they were responsible for ensuring that justice is carried out by a 
on behalf of a deceased family member if they were murdered. That's in Numbers 35, 19. The Goel, the Redeemer, was to make sure that justice was done if someone in their family had been murdered at the hands of another person. They were also responsible if, if someone fell on economic hard times and had to sell themselves into slavery. It was the responsibility of the Redeemer, the Goel, to buy them out of slavery. Uh, this close relative was, was the one who's to be responsible to raise the money. Let's get this person out of this situation so that they can be free. It was also the response, that that's Leviticus 25, verse 47 to 49. It was also the responsibility, as described in Leviticus 25, verse 25, that if someone was, was poor and had to sell off their land, it was the responsibility of the Goel, the Redeemer, to buy the land back. So Leviticus 25, 25 says, if your brother becomes poor and sells a part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So when Elimelech left for Moab, I mean, he, 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 he would have sold his land. He would, have, he would have thought, you know what? I'm not growing anything here. The real estate market is, is crashing. I'm just going to sell it off. I'm moving over to Moab. And he, so when Ruth and Naomi came back, they would have had no property. And so Boaz is a potential person who could buy back the land that once belonged to, uh, to Elimelech. Now, Ruth also has, I'm sorry, Naomi also has something in mind. Remember back in chapter one, that sort of awkward scenario that Naomi was describing where she said, well, if I could have kids and then those kids, they'd be the only people that would want to marry you. Well, Naomi's wheels start spinning here because in Leviticus 25, remember this is called a leverite marriage. Lever is the Latin word for, um, uh, for brother of, uh, of the husband. Deuteronomy 25. It, it says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother, the Latin there is lever, shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So again, the redeemer, Boaz was not a brother, but Ruth, it was Naomi is thinking on behalf of Ruth, maybe this, maybe this could be some sort of combination of all of these different Old Testament laws coming together. Maybe he could buy back the land. Maybe, Ruth, he would be interested in, uh, in marrying you. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young woman lest in another field you be assaulted. Again, we're just being reminded how horrible the days were in the time of the judges. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now just think about this with Ruth. Ruth started out that day thinking, if I could just find someone to let me pick up some barley stalks, like so that we could eat today. That's all she, she was just thinking, if we could just find a way to eat today. Then she comes across this Boaz person. She doesn't know who he is. And she ends up being able to glean all day and gather all of this. She gets invited to, to lunch and she's sitting and he's serving her. And then she's promised that she can come back the next day. And she has a consistent source of income. So 
Ruth is getting way more than what she expected. And now she's talking to Naomi, and then she's realizing, are you kidding me? This guy could buy our property back? Are you kidding me? This guy could potentially be a future husband for me? You see, this is how God works. Ephesians 3.20, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. Ruth is just thinking, I just need some gleaning for today. But God is always working on multiple levels in ways that we can't expect. But it didn't happen overnight. They don't get engaged after 90 minutes like those cheesy Christmas romance movies. Verse 23 says, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Six or seven weeks go by, almost a couple of months go by where she's just faithfully showing up to work every day, waiting and rejoicing in how God has provided and trusting that he will continue to provide in the future. So loved ones, now the story of redemption has a redeemer. We've been introduced to the hero of the story, but loved ones, there's a hero behind the hero. There's a redeemer behind the redeemer because there's a greater redemption that needs to take place. Boaz is described as a worthy man, but loved ones, there is a worthier man, someone who is worthy to receive all praise and glory and honor. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he is our redeemer. And just the way, in the same way that Naomi could look at Boaz's kindness and look right through that and see the Lord, we too can look at Boaz's kindness and look right through it and see the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus who looks at us and notices us even when we feel like no one else does. The Lord Jesus who, 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 redeems us from our slavery, the Lord Jesus who redeems our, our land, our whole world is going to be redeemed by this kinsman redeemer. The Lord Jesus who looks at us and although we are foreigners estranged from him, just like Boaz looked at Ruth and said, my daughter, the Lord looks at us and says, my daughter and my son, you belong. The Lord Jesus, just like Boaz, invites us to the table and offers us bread and wine. And the Lord Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer, as I've been saying all throughout this series, the, the book of Ruth is a story of redemption, but it's part of the broader story of redemption. That Boaz, this worthy man, points us to the one who is truly worthy, to receive all praise and honor and adoration. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you that you are a God of steadfast love, a love that never quits, a love that never stops, a love that, that is unending. Lord, we thank you that you showered that love on Naomi and on Ruth at such a dark and difficult time. Lord, I pray that you would shower your love and covenant faithfulness, your chesed, on us, Lord. God, I pray that you would be present with us right here, right now in this moment. Those who are trusting in you for your provision, would you fill them with so much hope and so much grace? Lord, I pray that we would walk in faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as we have been loved by our kinsman redeemer, Lord, that we would be able to notice people and love people and serve people and be generous to people. 
the way that Boaz was, Lord. May we live lives that are worthy. Lord, worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Lord, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.